This podcast is brought to you by StoryKingBooks.com. Sign up to receive a free copy of my latest ebook novella, Kane's Confession. If you would like to learn how to support this show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Story King. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today I have career coach Melissa Larina. Melissa Larina is the host of An Interview with Melissa Larina, a podcast featuring weekly interviews with creative, down-to-earth experts, including Gary Vaynerchuk, James Altucher, and many other professionals at the top of their game who openly reveal their tough career decisions and whose stories will ignite a fire in your belly to help you build your own out-of-the-box career. Meanwhile, as the founder and CEO of Career Outcomes Matter, Melissa also career coaches marketers with a special place in her heart for those who love writing on how to sell their potential in a forward-thinking company where their fresh ideas are listened to, valued, and supported. Her expertise is in helping clients who have ambitious dreams and want to break into new sectors. She brings insights from having worked in 16 business units in New York, Paris, London, and Sydney, Australia. Additionally, in her former corporate career, she worked on billion-dollar brands for Procter & Gamble, J.P. Morgan Chase, and on IBM for Ogilvy & Mather. She's been featured in Forbes, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, The Huffington Post, Fox Business, and others. She studied psychology at NYU and earned her MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. She currently lives with her husband and three sons in Sydney, Australia. Very excited for you folks to hear my conversation with Melissa Larina. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Story King podcast. Hello, John. This is so awesome. Excited to be here. Excited to have you on the show. Uh, why don't we just get started? I'd like to hear your story, what, who you are and what do you do? My story, it's something I don't get asked of frequently, but um, okay, I'll let you in. You and your listeners, I'll tell you all about me. Awesome. So here's my story. My story began um, a really long time ago, but I'll give you this perspective. So ultimately, I have been a career coach, I feel like, since the beginning of time. So I career coach a lot of people who are creative, right? Just like a lot of your listeners who have um, all these bright ideas that they want to bring to the world in some way or another, but ultimately also, you know, need to pay the rent and stuff, right? And mm -hmm. so a lot of my clients are people who have figured out how to ultimately, you know, bring their talents and time to a corporate setting or by way of like the gig economy, you know, really be a freelancer extraordinaire. And so what I've done with them has included a lot of what I learned early on. So like personally, I worked in corporate. I began at the age of 17 working in corporate. And I worked in 16 distinct business units and those business units. Um, the ironic part is that a lot of people thought they were doing totally different things, but turns out they just used different vocabulary words, to be honest. <laughs> right. But um, 
but ultimately, you know, by way of all those experiences, it's helped me help my clients land opportunities, figure out how to bring their talents to different employers, how to sell themselves, how to speak to what value they can bring to the table without losing a sense of like who they are, their authentic self, their creative souls and being. And I think that's important because that's really hard a lot of times for people to kind of like stay true to your mm -hmm. voice, your tone and the way you want to share your message versus, you know, working for a big organization that kind of like makes people sound a little more monotone, and a little mm -hmm. more corporate -y and jargony. So that's been part of my journey. Lots of different experiences in corporations, the big corporations, you know, um, the pinnacle of my career, which is a, a funny pinnacle, but ultimately I was working for Procter and Gamble and I was working on Charmin, the toilet paper. Like, right. yes, that was the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad that didn't happen so that during the pandemic. I'm sure that was a that was a yeah. Big booming. Like talk about not knowing that you were like a cool kid, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I was telling. It was funny. I was telling the people from from Charmin. I was like, "Well, I'm sure you guys are having an amazing quarter <laughs> and a half and year and a half, you know." Right. So yeah, they did well. Charmin was king this year for sure. Absolutely. Did you have that problem in Australia? That wasn't even a thing. You know. <laughs> It was it was a thing. Funny enough, they don't sell Charmin here, but um, yeah, toilet paper runs. They had can limits, so you could only buy like I think up only two cans of goods at a time, and that's tough being a Latina with like a family of five, and you make right. a lot of rice and beans. It's like canned beans is a thing for me, <laughs> so so Us I had too. to be. Yeah, I had to be creative, I had to be super creative there. But um, yeah, toilet paper runs big in down under for sure. Oh. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you a little bit about your clients. So, I mean, do you ever have somebody and they're telling you what they want to do and you're just like, no, this person needs to start their own business or this job isn't a good fit for them? And, you know, if so, how do you direct somebody like that? Yeah, I would say those are my favorite clients, except I would love them to agree with me on that realization. Like they kind of don't get to that point. So I'll explain. For instance, I'm thinking about a client when I'm looking at her, I'm like, okay, you're like a musician. Like who's kidding who? Like you're a musician, you studied music, you worked for like a piano company, like you're a musician. All right. That was the beginning of the conversation. Turns out that, you know, during her most exciting time of her life, she was on stage being a singer. It was like, okay, wow. I didn't know that. And she had forgotten that, I guess, in her life. And she was going for more like luxury brand marketing sort of opportunities where, you know, the compensation, the prestige and the perceived security is what she was going after. But in my heart, I was like, oh my God, I really wish you would just like go on stage. Obviously not now during this season, but 
um, you know, in my heart, I was like, man, I would love to see her on stage. So no, we didn't get her on stage. Like now would not have been the time. However, what I did help her through was, okay, you are so eloquent. And I'm thinking about this client. Um, you're an amazing writer. So why not create like a little case study of something that you did for a former employer who was in the music business realm, right? I don't want to like name names, but ultimately that's what I encouraged her to do. So I said, okay, you know, write something up, explain how you designed this experience for this music brand. It was an actual instrument and at least you're using your skill there, right? And for her, mm -hmm. what I thought was so awesome was that she had not written something before, like for herself to market herself. Like she wrote, you know, marketing briefs. She wrote things for her employers. But when it came to writing something for herself that she could put on LinkedIn, that she could then attract employers to who would appreciate her um, written communication skills, who would appreciate her level of creativity, who would appreciate, you know, the value that she brought to the table for that instrument company. Um, she had never done that. And when she did it, this was the part where I was like so excited. I'm like this like kid in a candy store when this happens. Like she was just like, oh my God, that felt so good. And I want to do it again. And I'm like, nice. yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you do. Because you are brilliant when it comes to the written word. And obviously music was a piece of the puzzle. And so what I thought was really amazing is that although no, she didn't go and like get on stage, but she kind of metaphorically got a taste of what it was like to be on stage by way of a written article that you could find on medium.com right now. Anyone could do. So if you're a listener out there and you want to piece together some content, just go on medium.com. It's it's free. Mm -hmm. And and she was able to showcase a different skill, a more creative sort of skill. And so that was like one thing. But then there was another client that he actually did what I wanted him to kind of like go full force into. But it only happened because he was ready for it. And that's what he wanted to. So his whole thing was he loves video games. I mean, he's been playing video games since he was, I guess, a teenager or whatever. And so he loved it so much that he wanted to get a job in the field. Mm -hmm. And it was not to be a corporate person and work for like one of the video game companies. It would have been to do his own like video game marketing agency. Right. And so with him, it was really amazing because he went full force. I mean, like he had his fiance at the time take pictures of him with like video game consoles in his hand mm -hmm. and he put it all over LinkedIn. And like, you don't usually see that on LinkedIn, you know, people looking like authentic, real, fun, creative, and colorful. <laughs> you see boring. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And he did that. And ultimately, um, that's what he did. I mean, this guy actually ended up getting like three different opportunities during this, you know, pandemic era. Um, and that was because he was passionate. And that was because he actually cared about video game stuff. He mm -hmm. wasn't faking it. And 
for him, he has his business. So he created, he went on to create a business, which is not corporate. He created a business. Plus he got a full-time job also. Plus early on, he had gotten a um, contract sort of, you know, role or whatever with a startup in a video game company. I mean, we're talking about over the course of, I think it was nine weeks, he got all those things. Hmm. So it was like amazing, but it was because he was ready for it. He was ready for like a more entrepreneurial sort of role in his life. And so when they're ready for it, because I could always see an entrepreneurial answer to their their challenge. I mm -hmm. always see one. But um, but we always start out, you know, like, okay, fine. You want a corporate job. Let's do that. <laughs> but if right. you really want to be happy. <laughs> well, that kind of leads me to the next question. So that's kind of the people I'm talking about, right? So there's a lot of writers and people who consider themselves artists at heart. You know, they dream of making a living off of what they love to do, but they often don't see a viable way to do it. So how should an artistic type of person, a fiction writer, for example, think about generating a sufficient income? Where do they begin? Walk us through how a creative person can, you know, make their talents and skills more marketable to an employer, stakeholder, or investor. What are your thoughts on that? So it's funny, stemming from that engagement with the video game client, what I actually learned, because what happens is when I coach people that are in marketing, they want to go into completely different sectors. And so what I end up doing is learning about even more sectors. So, you know, I'm coming in 16, sec 16 distinct business units. I worked in like a lot of different sectors and now I coach people and they're in their different sectors and I learn about that. With video game specifically, what I learned from that was that a lot of the people that are game designers, they actually are creative writers. And how did I come to that conclusion? Because when I coach people, I'm helping them network their way into organizations. And what you need to know there is you need to have context, like with whom are you speaking? Mm -hmm. how might they see the world and what sort of skills and experiences do they have? As one example, this person that was my client, he originally actually did write a book and it was kind of like sci-fi, which makes sense given video games. Mm -hmm. And when he wrote his book, he just kind of had it there. Like he never like published it formally, nothing, nothing, nothing. However, once he decided that he wanted to go into the video game field and we started seeing who are the people on LinkedIn, just looking up their profiles. So we saw this one person, for example, her name is Melissa, which is my name. So I was like, she's cool <laughs> from the bat, right? right? So Melissa actually did like a PhD by way of like creative writing. And so we went on to her blog post. She actually had it live. So it was super simple to kind of investigate. And then we noticed, okay, so she actually has her own set of like fictional writing things, right? Samples and content. And so that might be one very simple way of figuring out who's hiring for that talent of like creative writing, right? And I'm using that like, really broadly. So mm -hmm. you literally go on LinkedIn and type in creative writing in the search field, and then just look who pops up, 
And then, you know, those people, what companies do they work for? Are they doing something that sounds like, smells like, looks like creative writing? Or are they totally not doing anything pertaining to writing? So you have to investigate, right? To see kind of like, all right, who's doing what I want to do Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, making it super simple for you to find them. And then talking to them, talking to those strangers, talking to these people. So that woman, Melissa, my client, I had him reach out to Melissa and this is complete stranger to stranger. He didn't know her. She didn't know him. And he approached her. And because of the way that he approached her, which was strategic and respectful. So it wasn't like a generic let's connect. It was thoughtful. It was like, I know this is what you've done. I read your blog post. My favorite one was X. Let's have a conversation. I'm in the market. And when he did that, she actually told him, she's like, look, this is how I got my job. And so she suggested some Facebook groups for him to be a part of. So that's like one way of approaching, you know, how to get a job writing fiction or something that is a derivation Mm -hmm. of fiction, right? So like game design, because it's a lot of narratives, a lot of stories. Like I, as a mom of three, my kids play Super Mario all the time. I didn't think there was much thinking involved pertaining to like Princess Peach and the, and, and the like, you know, right. like how should I know what Bowser wants? I don't know. But there's like this narrative and like fiction writers are part of that narrative. And I didn't know that. Let me ask. So that that's interesting. So you're saying... Uh... He had to kind of find a, he loved video games and kind of finding that that side avenue of where your talents are are needed in the market, so to speak, right? Totally. Now, let me ask you, do you think corporate America is even a good environment for creatives or do you think artist types are better suited for entrepreneurship? Is there another avenue I'm not even thinking of? I mean, I think it's, it's a personal decision because from a corporate America standpoint. So not every company is the same, but if I have to really give you like broad brushstrokes, I would say the bigger the organization. So like once they're like a public company that you have shareholders and they're public, like JP Morgan Chase, for example, you're not going to feel like a super thrilled, excited, oh my God, this is amazing, creative professional in those places, right? Now, if you go closer to, you know, a company that's smaller, more startup-y, right, then you will feel a bit more unleashed in terms of your ability to be creative and to be yourself, but it depends on the founders. Like if the founders are like corporate because a lot of times that's what happens. It's someone that worked at like a McKinsey, like that's a consulting firm or mm-hmm. someone that worked at a um, JP Morgan Chase and then they get money and then they create a startup. They bring that thinking with them too. So you have to be mindful of the founders. But for the most part, broad, you know, brush strokes, the smaller a place is, the more flexible they will be. And that's because they need someone to wear a lot of hats because they don't have a lot of money to hire a lot of very specialized talent. Mm-hmm. So you'll get to do things a bit more avant-garde if that's, you know, the right way of thinking about it. But as far as like 
feeling like it's the right place for you. So, you know, if I think about companies also from this perspective, which is, you know, if there's a lot of money involved, then there's always going to be someone that's going to be mitigating risks in that place, Mm -hmm. regardless of what they're selling, toilet paper, technology, microphones, whatever. Um, There's always going to be someone mitigating risk. A creative is going to want to take some risk for the most part. You know, you're going to want to think about different word choices. You're going to want to think about, you know, what will this lead um, character be doing next? Will they die? Will they not? I don't know. So people might be afraid of being so creative from that perspective um, if there's a lot of money involved. So again, it's so unique, but I would say like if I had to just, you know, think about your listeners and think, okay, are these people who on any given day would rather write a story that makes them smile, makes them laugh, brings joy, or write a story that sells and might not really make them smile, bring them joy, then I would say the writing bit can be more the freelancing sort of thing. Like if I had to think about it as a source Mm -hmm. of joy, right? So it just depends if you're tying income to Mm -hmm. your writing or intrinsic value of feeling flow and joyful. Mm -hmm. Right. But now just to clarify terms, um, because we throw around corporate America. So what, what, how do you define corporate America? Is that just big business? Are startups considered corporate America or they, are they just working themselves up to corporate America? So. Yeah, I think it depends on, I mean, the founder and how they would define it, like whether they want to feel big. So sometimes small companies, they just like, will say that they're part of, you know, the corporate landscape of the world because they mm. want to be perceived as bigger and more established and stable. But it's it's interesting because thinking about your listeners, right? Like if you guys are like wordsmiths, then this is going to really bother you. But you could use this term in any way that you you so wish. Ultimately, when I think about corporate America, I'm thinking about organizations that are large, that they'll be on those lists, like Fortune okay. 500s, Fortune mm-hmm. 1000s, or like mm-hmm. global um, lists too, not just US. So it'll be on a list where you know they're defined by some metric. Like sometimes it's like a financial metric. It could be number of employees. However, however, because of my work with people in companies that are big and small, I know that the nuances pertaining to what they hire for, they're not that big. They're kind of the same because these small organizations, they tend to get their money from other organizations and they do want to be a lot of times acquired by the big guys. So to your point, they're like trying to get to that place. So they got to act like it now. Okay. Yeah. That, that definitely clarifies some things. Now I recently read somewhere and I can even say I've seen it myself, employers stressing relevant skills in lieu of academic credentials. Would you say this is a trending reality? Is college becoming a little less important in the eyes of employers or? 
I mean, I think in terms of some organizations, so like the technology organizations, like Google, for example, I think they stopped making that a requirement as far as having like a BA or a BS. So like an undergraduate degree is no longer a requirement. I don't even know, maybe even um, Tesla, SpaceX, that might be the case too. Like when I'm, I'm thinking about like coders, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. So if you could write like a really mean like set of code, like who cares, you know, if you went to Stanford or not. But I will say that for me, like, this is a tricky question because it's like, okay, my personal experiences have been always with a, you know, academic backing. Like I have my undergrad, I have my MBA. And so for a corporate America job, mm -hmm. like an organization that's like, like Clorox, for example, let's think about them. They're a fortune, you know, 500 organization, um, they're going to want to see an MBA. Like they're going to want to see that. Mm -hmm. Right. And right now, because of unemployment, a lot of people that have all those qualifications, they're going even after more junior roles. So the competition, regardless of whether a Google is looking for someone with or without a bachelor's degree, the competition is making it so that someone at Google has a choice. You know, they might mm. see like 10 people with a BA and amazing coding skills, and then five people with no BA and amazing coding skills. And it'll just be a way for them to filter, you know, just mm -hmm. make it simple for themselves. Like, okay, well, we only have time to talk to 10 people today. So let's talk to the ones with the I BA. See. Right. So they'll, they'll just get the attention, whether they have the skills or not, just because of their uh, academic credentials, basically, for certain jobs. For certain jobs. I think when it comes to like technical jobs, like coding, for example, then that's where the actual pure skills might matter more. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like management jobs that you're trying to then get like high up to like the C-suite, so like be like CEO or chief mm -hmm. marketing officer or whatever, then sometimes the MBA is seen as required to have that classification of like i'm in the c-suite like it's it's just mm -hmm. risk mitigation back to the earlier point like right. it really is someone who is scared and is like well we got to make sure that they have this that and the other so let's get everything you know gotcha all right so in your experience do you find you know artistic types authors do they lack certain business skills needed to start their own brand you know and what are some of those skills like do you learn them along the way or can you outsource them i know you said a lot of times you can spot people you know a mile away if they're they're able to be like an entrepreneur so so i mean in terms of like artists creative people and the like i would say i mean we're so different because I consider myself in that camp, even though I have an MBA, I would say I'm creative too. And my artistry is writing too. Mm. And when I think about the world and just like, you know, what people have, what they don't, I would say one thing that a lot of people who are creative might not have is it's really the audacity to get paid for their talent and figure out how to make that happen. Mm. So 
I'll give you an example. When I interviewed on my podcast, an interview with Melissa Lorena, I interviewed this artist who is actually a, you know, painting artist. So not so much a writer, mm-hmm. although he probably does do poetry. And for him, he just said, he's like, I'm not trying to be a starving artist. There's no reason to be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have, doesn't have his MBA. He doesn't have an MFA either, you know? And what's interesting is that he found that he just needed to learn the business stuff, you know? So what he did, this guy, he goes by Louis Blaca. What he did was he just really focused on, okay, I need to learn how to make my business sustainable. And he does like one of those like um, wine and, and uh, what is it? Like the wine and paint sort of event mm, thing. Right. Right. Where you go and you're like sipping wine and you're painting something and you're being taught in a class environment. Mm-hmm. Well, that's his business. That's how he figured out to, you know, commercialize his talent. But he also does these huge like street art murals, you know, and he's not necessarily getting compensated for that, but he's getting a lot of attention for that, mm. you know. And so he he just honed in on that that skill. That one missing that one missing skill was operating. First of all, it's operating from the assumption that you know creatives are starving artists, right? So he basically, in his mind, he had to say that shall not be me. So he has to believe it. He has to know that he doesn't have to be that way, you know, or live that way. And he has to then feel confident to like ask for money for his artwork, whatever Mm. your artistry is like, that's the audacity that comes from a book. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but I have it here. It's called the artist's way. by Julia Cameron. Yes. Yeah. I've read that before. Yeah. She, she calls it audacity, like, but Mm. it's audacity to be creative. But Mm -hmm. in this conversation, it's audacity to ask for money for your creativity. Sure. And so Louis Blaca, like I said, that one skill that was missing was how can I create a viable business out of my artistry? And then it was honing in like, okay, I know that there are some podcasts that talk about that very specific topic, how Mm -hmm. to make money as an artist. I know that there's artists around me who are making money. So Mm -hmm. let me learn from them by way of either just looking at their stuff and figuring out what are they selling and making. And then also um, just knowing that ultimately, you know, you're going to have to be creative too. You have to be creative in the way that you acquire this missing knowledge and acquire the relationships you might also lack. So if you don't know a lot of people that have money that can invest in you, or if you don't know, as an example, a gallery owner, let's just say, that's networking. And so that's another skill that Mm -hmm. anybody that's creative has to figure out, you know, how to master so that they can acquire access and resources in the places where they can sell their stuff. And it could be virtual places or, you know, physical places. 
Now, did your client struggle through navigating between being an artist and a business person at the same time? Was there was there a struggle with the because they both require a good deal of your you know mental and physical resources? So, how did they uh, navigate through that? Yeah. So when it came to this person, so so he was a podcast guest. He wasn't a client necessarily. He was okay. a guest. And with him, with Louis, <clears throat> it was a cute story. So he is a single guy, no kids. So that's first a little bit of context there in terms of, you know, how his responsibilities looked at the time. But he had school loans, so he still did have responsibilities. So what he had to do in order to get to that place where he was able to do both his art and create some sort of business was he just looked around him for help and support. So he enlisted even the help of his family. Mm. And it's a cool story because during our podcast, he shared that he wanted to put his flower that was like his signature sort of image he wanted to put his flower on something to sell but he didn't want it to be like sweatshirts and t-shirts he thought that was corny according to him because his stuff is like classy so he wanted to put it on candles so what happens basically he tells his dad he says dad you know i have the image i know that i want to do candles but I don't know. And I don't have time to learn how to make these like soy based candles. Can you help me? So he asked his dad and his dad went through the YouTube tutorial, how to make candles and actually did it. And then he had this little assembly line thing going on in his kitchen of his mom and his dad creating the candles. And then, you know, Louis was like putting on the stickers on the candle thingamajigs. So you have to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And if you explain to the people around you what your vision is, like, this is what I'm trying to do, and you get them excited about what you want to do, then chances are they're going to help you and they'll feel really excited too. You know, like it, it's super cute because on Instagram, you see that the image of like his mom, his dad, the candles and his artistry. So it's a really cool Cool look. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take the opportunity to let you know about a brand new resource I recently published. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I've created an ebook called Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro that walks you through all the little details of producing and launching your own show. So for less than $5, you can own this resource by visiting storykingbooks.com or amazon.com. Those links will be in the show notes. And now back to today's episode. So. There are a lot of writers and artists of various stripes trying to create online brands and platforms for themselves through social media, podcasts, uh, their own websites. Are we at the point, though, that there's such an oversaturation on the internet that the attention goes to the highest bidder? If you're trying to make money, spending a lot of money as a sole proprietor on ads seems really counterintuitive. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Is there still room for, for everyone? Is there a, gra a way to do it? at an organic grassroots level still or? I think right now, the one thing that is, I mean, this is like a superpower of like anybody that's like a writer or like an artist or anything. You've got creativity. 
like, like, okay, you might think about like Facebook ads as like one way to get your message out and having to pay per click. You might think, okay, Google, you know, and getting those keywords and being known for them. But the creativity that you apply towards your craft, you can use towards the quote unquote marketing of your craft and yourself. So what does that mean? And that's something I'm thinking through right now because I'm thinking about, you know, what's to come next year. Right now, this is the interesting bit. So before the pandemic, there was a lot of like, okay, I have a physical brand, I have an actual store and all of that stuff. And a lot of people didn't get like, oh, online, you know, businesses. And I've been a pure online business since 2011. So I almost feel like, oh, welcome to the party. I've been here this whole time. <laughs> and now there's a lot of attention, right, to the online space. So being creative for me means, okay, so I've been here for some time. How can I feel like I'm having fun still, right? Because I don't want to see like just dashboards because I'm creative. Like to me, that's boring seeing like numbers and CTR mm -hmm. and all this jargon. So it's about, okay, how can I maybe collaborate with people that are doing cool things as one way to get attention online? that would be free. That could be a barter sort of opportunity, right? Basically exposure for that person to your audience and you to their audience is one. The other thing I would say by way of creativity. So, okay. So now you have this like more pure virtual experience and environment. Is there a way to have a physical component and that takes creativity. So for example, let's say you have a Zoom meeting with someone that um, is looking to, and I'm making this up, someone that wants to invest in your business as a creative, right? And you have a Zoom meeting with them. What's to say that you don't physically mail ahead of time, like your book, and maybe the book has like the main character, you know, in the form of a figurine, and there's something else that makes it creative. That wasn't creative, but let's just imagine we can right. all think about <laughs> a creative sort of thing, right? So I think that's, that's the missing element. And I think, I think that same creativity, it is so transferable, right? Because okay. we use that word, transferable skills. Creativity is transferable. So you have to just think to yourself, okay, here I am writing something that's creative. Now you got to step away from the content creation. And I'm talking to myself really right now. And you have to just think, okay, so I created this amazing thing. So how can I now do something that is creative to get people to look at that thing? And it doesn't take a lot of money, but it takes a lot of um, a lot of courage because sometimes you have to do something that's creative and you are going to potentially embarrass yourself because maybe it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Maybe you went and did like a Facebook live, which is totally free. And maybe you, you know, said the wrong URL or something during that Facebook live. Right. And like that can be embarrassing. Those those tests, those experiments to get people to understand what you have to sell, mm -hmm. that's more of what you just have to do now. And that can be free, like IGTV Live. That can be mm -hmm. free. I just did a collaboration with someone that I know, and it was so simple that it was embarrassing. It was like, are you kidding me? It was just pressing this button. 
totally free. I didn't pay for anything. She didn't pay for anything. So, but you have to be creative. It's like, okay, what's the hook? Like what's going to make this so distinguishable from the other ads that they see? Is this going to be funny? Are they Mm -hmm. going to feel, um, you know, important? Like they're part of this exclusive club because they watch your ad. Is it going to be like branded content? So they're not even going to realize that they're watching some sort of ad, you know? So be creative in the marketing and treat that as another piece of content, basically another expression of your artistry. Right. So basically repurpose your artistry for marketing and, and not look at it. So, uh, silly because then that, that can turn the artists off if they think like I'm trying to be manipulative, you know? So just kind of use it as, as almost an extension of their art, you know, the marketing, because you have to be just as creative to, uh, to market your work as creating the work itself. Yeah. That's the only way to break, to like break through, break through mm-hmm. the clutter for sure. All right. Now I know for a lot of creative work, it, it could be expected that you start at the bottom and work your way up. I recently interviewed a film location scout, uh, Malika Johnson, who told me that's generally how you get into the locations department. You start as a production assistant, you meet some people, they give you an assignment here and there. And at some point you might be able to move into the locations department. Is that the general trajectory for everybody? What if you're not young and you're simply switching careers? Are there opportunity hacks creatives can employ to land the best job possible? Yeah, this is a this is a really interesting question because that's like the assumption. It's like the same assumption, like you have to be a starving artist, right? Mm. And so you can technically buy into it. And like there's a lot of people that are gonna hire someone that is experienced on the cheap. So you will find people to take you up on that offer. <laughs> right. No problem. Um, and I would say that that is probably yeah, very common. So I'm not going to like lie about it. A lot of people, that's what they have to do. Like I interviewed someone on my podcast and Poonam, she is a documentary um, journalistic producer person. And for her, she had to go from six figure fundraising job to carrying people's jackets, bringing them coffee and making nothing. But ultimately she loved it so much. Like it was just like pure excitement to her. And it was like a very different life stage. She was super, you know, mature and super well-versed in a lot of things. So she was able to rise rather quickly. However, she had to do it too. So I would say, you know, and I even think about another person I interviewed. So this is the executive producer for Billions. Theo also, he was a journalist in like one of the Carolinas, I believe, or in Georgia. And ultimately he left being a news reporter and he basically had to start from the very bottom, you know, and do his writing. Um, And, but the way he got the job was at a bar, he was at a bar in LA and he found someone that, you know, uh, was a decision maker in that space on another TV show. And he was in the right place at the right time, but he put himself there on purpose and he yes, had to start from the bottom as well. So I would say if you're looking at an opportunity and you're looking at an opportunity that a lot of people would want, a lot of people would want, uh, people who are willing to get paid 
nothing or little, then chances are, yes, you're going to have to make some quality of life adjustments and you're going to have to just evaluate for yourself whether it's worth it to you, you know, taking that step back in your career. And you could plan for that, like if that was a dream, you know, and that's something that I help people think through too. Like, how can you make your dream a reality in light of your real life responsibilities, you know? And that, all of that, just to kind of quote that podcast guest, Theo from The Billions Show, that requires, what did he say? Eating humble pie. That's what he said. <laughs> so <laughs> so line, it's yeah. important. It's important. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, that will be the case. So here's the caveat to that. It really just depends. It really does depend if you are able to forge the right relationships with people on the inside. So back to the earlier point, like when you're mastering the art of networking, what I always coach my clients to do is not just network with someone that would be your peer or network with someone that would be junior to you, but network with like a big gun, like a really top head honcho kind of person because they might see themselves in you. Like for all you know, maybe they, you know, were able to do something because they had the guts to put themselves out there. And here you are having the guts to put yourself out there. And they're like, oh, this person's kind of cool. Let me help them out and give them a shot. Hmm. But realize that once you have that shot, then you've got to go full force, right? You've got to really show up and you've got to go, you know, over time. So like I said, for the most part, yes, you start junior, you have to make adjustments from a quality of life perspective. However, there are moments and situations where if you did networking right, you might find someone who sees a lot of themselves in you and might might help you a bit. I'm not saying, you know, put you in top position because you're still risky, mm. but they might help you a bit. And my other podcast guest is a good example, Diane Bell. So she's a Sundance winner um, for mm. a movie that she did. And the writer behind Die Hard actually saw in her, and the name escapes me, the writer of Die Hard, which is like a really big, big, big name. Right. <laughs> um, but ultimately, he saw in her brilliance. She, he saw in her that she was brilliant. And she had just been a yoga instructor, by mm. the way in Spain, owning a yoga studio. So she was older, but she put herself out there. She won based off her first, her first movie. Okay. A Sundance win. So that's another thing you have to be exceptional, talk to the right people, be exceptional. And then maybe someone will help you out. Right. Awesome. Now, where should people even begin to look for work? You know, do you recommend job boards like Indeed and ZipRecruiter? Why or why not? So the interesting part about looking for work is if you're looking for work, that's not how to think about it, first okay. of all, because that sounds very, because it sounds very like, like it just reminds me of like waiting on a line, helping people I don't know, pick up right. lumber or something, right. you know, <laughs> you don't like, like the, you don't like the term work. Is that what it is that looking no, for work? Look, looking for work. Okay. It's basically like when I think about it, I think about it like, okay, what do you want your life experience to be? Nobody says that people say exactly what you said, John, but I want to just like call it out because we're all wordsmiths. 
right? Mm-hmm. If you could be creative when it comes to the written word, then you could also use that to your advantage and you could start reframing what it is that you're pursuing, right? And use these like words that feel more juicy and purpose-driven, right? Mm. So so nobody's looking for work in my life. <laughs> no one. <laughs> you're, you're looking to create a life experience that is going to compensate you so that you can, you know, um, provide, you know, if that is your role in the family. And you're looking for a life experience that's going to help you contribute your talents to the world in a way that you're going to feel alive. You're going to feel on purpose and like you've, you're doing it with intention. So, you know, job boards, right? So now that that's why I wanted to just kind of like cover that off and then go into the job boards. Gotcha. So if you're operating from a, what do I want my life experience to look like perspective, the first step is not going to a job board. What mm-hmm. a job board is for a lot of people, not everyone, a lot of people, it's how to procrastinate productively, <laughs> right? So I know a lot of people, I'll talk to them and they're like, you know, I have on my computer, like 20 tabs open of those job descriptions that they found on job boards. And I asked them, well, how many have you applied to? And usually the answer is like, none, I haven't started yet. I haven't found the perfect thing. I'm, you know, I'm not looking to rush anything. Like this is everything that I hear all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So they go on job boards, you see these job descriptions. Job descriptions are, they should feel yucky if you're like a writer because it's copy and paste of, other job descriptions. And a lot of times it's so, um, it's not legalese, but I mean, you know, it's run through the gamut, like creativity, not always, but a lot of times creativity is like out the door. It's Mm -hmm. more like, let's put everything. Let's ask for a superhuman, you know, someone that doesn't exist in an impossible, like (laughs) hero that's going (laughs) to save our company. And That's what you see on job boards. Job boards, um, companies pay to be on job boards for the most part. And so if you have to pay to advertise your stuff, like a place where you're paying people to do that job, then you got to ask yourself, well, wouldn't employees on the inside want that job? Like, why do they have to like advertise like on the Mm. outside? Right. So think about like the ladders, think about, you know, LinkedIn. So first step, go to the actual company that you want to work for. If you want that company Mm -hmm. to be part of your life experience. So I'll give you an example. There's a, um, a sock company. I think they're called Bombas. I don't know if you've heard of them. Have you a sock company? I don't think so. So this sock company, you buy a pair and they give a pair to homeless people. Mm. like a homeless person. And so there's like this cause marketing behind the scenes, right? So that's a brand. It would fall like in the startup sort of size. And when you look at that organization, they might be on like a typical job board, like, you know, um, Indeed or something. However, you have to just kind of take a step back, like just step one, like, wait, what do I want to be in my life experience? Do I want to work for a mission-driven company? Well, if you do, that's going to then inform the companies that make sense for you to approach. And then you would go to, you know, your favorite companies, the ones that are doing things creatively, the ones that inspire you and the ones that maybe you shop already. And let's say Bombas. So I'm thinking about an actual client that I had. 
So she was interested in working for this company and they have that model, buy a sock, give a sock to the homeless. She would not have found them like on a regular job board. Like it was on the website, mm. you know? And then after that, it was going to LinkedIn, seeing who works for that company, getting a good sense of like the sort of people they tend to hire. So job boards for me are sometimes they're, productive procrastination sometimes um but for the most part you got to just start from that point like kind of like all right what do i want my life experience to include if i'm an artist and if i have to you know do something that i might not a hundred percent like quote unquote at least let it be for a company that you know is like a cause or mission driven company mm -hmm. and then you think to yourself what companies fall into that bucket mission cause and yeah you might use a job board to filter out some of those companies but chances are you're gonna have to be a lot more um, proactive in terms of putting together a list of companies and going to their website first and being being really specific and knowing okay they might not have an opening on their website today but i have to keep checking in with mm -hmm. the website because that's where it's going to pop up first right because time matters too on the job boards, those tend to be there a long time and they right. tend to be sometimes stale job openings, to be honest. Okay. So basically be a lot more intentional and specific with looking for work. <laughs> yeah, you're not looking for work. You're looking, you're a work, this is a third of your life, you know? It's right. a third of your life. So you wanna, you wanna, you wanna create the life experience that's going to make you feel whole, you know, and if you're a creative, it's hard to be honest, to just look for work because then mm -hmm. you're going to feel like you're, you might feel that, that conflict, you know, as you mentioned earlier, where mm -hmm. like, okay, I have these great story ideas, but I'm pouring all my energy into like this company. Where does this leave my artistry? I need to sleep sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's hard. It's hard. If you're, if you're just looking for work, it's hard, but if you're really trying to be intentional and cultivate a life experience that makes you feel whole and like you're driven towards an end goal that makes you feel like it'll be part of your, your, your legacy and what you want to leave with the world, then it just feels more meaningful. Absolutely. Awesome. Any last nuggets of wisdom for writers and other creatives looking for financial stability? What can you leave us with? Yeah, so I would say, you know, writers and creatives looking for financial stability. I think what's really important is thinking about it. I mean, I don't know, I guess I want to use a little bit of my MBA skill right now to express this thought. But like, let's say you have a retirement fund and they say, oh, diversification, diversification. Like you can't just like put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. Um, you know, think about it from that perspective. So if you're an artist and you're someone who has you know, lots of different talents. So let's say you're a writer, but then you're also, you know, a um, video editor and you're also something else. Like, it's okay to think about your career and revenue streams from a diversification perspective. So mm. not just say, okay, I'm only going to write and that's what I'm going to do, you know, by day and by night. You could literally split your experiences and 
do some freelancing by way of the writing, the video editing, and, you know, whatever the third skill might be. Um, it's going to make you more nimble, more flexible, more marketable. Mm -hmm. And it's also going to, in a very surprising way, help you be more creative. When you sit down at your desk and you have to think something through, let's just imagine the main character is like a YouTuber or something. Like you'll have like some really cool, juicy like scenes to talk through when they're like stuck looking at a frozen screen, trying to edit a friggin' like, you know, YouTube video caption. Like you'll right. know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that, that's uh, great advice. Uh, the whole conversation was very illuminating, even for myself, I'm sure for my listeners as well. I'm going to have all your links and handles in the show notes, but for the people who have no intention on reading those show notes, why don't you let everyone know where they can follow you and even reach out if they want to? Yeah. So the best way to reach out to me and see everything that I'm doing in terms of my podcast and interview with Melissa Lorena would be really follow me on Instagram. So Instagram for me is a lot more fun than LinkedIn, truth be told. So just go to at career outcomes matter on Instagram and you'll see there by the link on my bio, everything else that I'm up to in terms of the podcast, in terms of career coaching, you could always just DM me on Instagram and in terms of everything else that I have available for people that want to work or, you know, create their life experience. Right. As I said earlier. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Story King podcast, Melissa. I had a blast. Thank you. <laughs> So that was my interview with Melissa Lorena. Her links will be in the show notes. Be sure to visit her website to download for free her nine tips to feel hopeful, empowered, and limitless on your career and life journey. Again, her link will be in the show notes. Don't forget to sign up on storykingbooks.com to get your free copy of Kane's Confession. Remember, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can visit my website or amazon.com and for less than $5, purchase my latest ebook resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the story king. All those links will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of subscribing to it and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or the medium of your choice. And share it with your friends and family on social media. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Story King Podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. Please join us next time. Until then. Until then.